0: Welcome to The Ziegler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is episode 470. Today, Tom Ziegler and I bring you a show that will absolutely change your paradigm toward the opposite sex, and in that, it's literally relevant to everyone. So Dr. Emerson Egerich wrote a book 12 years ago that as of right this moment, I just checked, it's ranked at number 602 in all books overall in Amazon. That's ridiculous. The reason, though, is it's just flat-out revelatory. The book is Love and Respect, The Love She Most Desires, The Respect He Desperately Needs. But the bigger point is it outlines a reality about men and women that we have all just massively missed and are all suffering from. It doesn't matter if you're married or in a relationship or not even. I mean, I'm having my kids listen to this show. And, and hear me, please, even if you've read the book or been to a love and respect conference, which many people have, I implore you to listen to this interview with Emerson. It's flat out profound. I really had difficulty conducting the interview because I was a bit dumbstruck with some of the paradigms he just shattered and, and revealed. Uh, so, hey, here's some quick inspiration from Zig, then we're going to get going.
2: Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. Hey, in Sigler
0: Show episode 378, we interviewed New York Times bestselling author Kevin Cruz, whose book... 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management significantly changed the way I work. Well, he's launched a new podcast, Lead X, where he gets top leadership experts, CEOs, and entrepreneurs to reveal their biggest failures, and to give actionable advice that you can apply right away. If you want to accelerate your career and reach your full potential, The X Show helps you to stand out and get ahead. Subscribe to The LeadX Show in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. X is just a great way to start your day. Okay, folks, real quick, if you don't know Dr. Emerson Igerich, he's an internationally known public speaker on the topic of marriage, parenting, communication, and more. Based on over three decades of counseling, as well as scientific and biblical research, Dr. Igerich developed the Love and Respect Marriage Conference, which he presents to live audiences around the country. This dynamic and life-changing conference is impacting the world, resulting in the healing and restoration of countless relationships. Dr. Egerich has authored several books, including the national bestseller, Love and Respect, which is just a continual New York Times bestseller, a platinum and book of the year award winner and sold over 1.6 million copies. So this January, this last January, 2017, he released the Love and Respect 10-week study, If you go to loveandrespect.com, you'll find options for couples, small groups, or just the option to watch the 6.5-hour conference on your own time and get the study, get the workbook. Um, And here's a primer on this interview, though, that really uh, captures a lot of the essence here says the message of love and respect has inspired many couples because of three discoveries that men and women make about themselves. There are three secrets hidden in plain sight. I like that hidden in plain sight. We might say about male and female relationships. When the light bulb of illumination takes place, many exclaim, how did I not see this? And why is no one told this to me before? Now, Well, folks, that's my testimonial, absolutely, and why I am just thrilled to bring this interview to you. Actually, I'll give you a real personal testimony. I recently went on a five-day trip with my wife, Terry, to celebrate our uh, 24th anniversary. So we're poolside in the sun, great music and beverages, and I, yes, me, a guy, a guy who does not enjoy getting into uncomfortable marriage discussions, I asked her to listen to this interview, this following interview with me. Uh, I, I, I love to punish myself physically, but emotionally and relationship wise, I'd rather just have my toenails yanked out with pliers, but I did this thing and we listened to it. And afterwards she wanted me to, she wanted more. She wanted me to read the book to her. She likes to be read to out loud. So I literally did it with the book open and read it out loud to her. Um, though we'd only get a few pages in pages in and we'd end up talking, which is why we're still going through the thing today. I think it was two nights ago. She asked me again, Hey, can we read through that? I, yes, absolutely. So. There it is. No better testimonial. As a guy, I wanted to talk about it. And as a woman, uh, my wife wanted to more uh, also. So I'm telling you, you're about to be wowed. So here then is Tom Ziegler and myself talking to Emerson, Dr. Emerson Igrich. Well, Emerson, I have known your name and the title of your book for many, many years. And when our listeners recommended you for the show, I jumped on it. So thank you immensely for taking the time to be with us today.
1: No, thank you. I've been looking forward to it. It's a great honor.
0: Well, to set the stage here, I'm going to ask you to clarify the difference between love and respect. I mean, I think we can view them differently, but in a marriage relationship, at least as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, I could easily kind of lump those together. So will you give us the primary differentiating factors between the two?
1: Well, to begin with, we do take the position that love and respect are the two foundational ingredients for successful Relationship. The University of Washington studied 2000 couples for 20 years, and they said, We now know the two key ingredients for successful marriages. And when those two ingredients are present, the marriage tends to succeed. And when they're not there, the marriage tends to go the other direction. And they said it was love and respect. And to your question, are they not synonymous? I mean, uh, wouldn't we say that love and respect are the same? Well, we, we, uh, respect our boss but we don't love our boss in that sense and uh, we might say that uh you know we love our teenage son but right now we don't feel any respect for him yeah so they're distinct even though there is a crossover and one of the challenges in marriage is that uh in the gender differences women will react in ways because when they feel unloved, they will move toward their husband to talk uh the university of washington found the vast majority of women will be critical They will complain. That's for the purpose of connecting. Women deeply care. But the men were asked, What does ongoing criticism feel like to you? And the men said, It feels like disrespect. And the women were in a complete fog on that. So, what we have here are some male and female distinctions that what feels loving to her, feels caring on the heels of, let's say, being unloved, ends up being interpreted by him as very disrespectful. So, there's what I call a pink and blue difference. They also studied that 85% of those who stonewall and withdraw is the male during marital conflict. And why do we do that? Well, our heartbeats get to 99 beats per minute. We have to calm down. If you and I were best of buddies since boyhood days and we got into a heated moment, we separate because we're lethal. We could hurt each other. It's actually an honorable thing to do. But the women were asked, what do you feel when your husband stonewalls and shuts down on you? She said it feels like an act of hostility. That was the descriptor, act of hostility. So here you have again the same event being interpreted through what I call the pink and blue grids. Neither are wrong, we're just different. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. And I, and I want to dig into some specifics of what you said there, though. I did want to also hit I mean, I went back and did my research here and saw that you began the Love and Respect conferences in 1999. Then the book uh, was published in, I think, 2005. And and the book has, of course, become a classic in the arena of marriage, as have the conferences. And and I'm I'm wondering, from back then to today, has your perspective on the core message evolved to to some degree, or is it basically the same as the day you wrote it?
1: No, it is pretty much the same. I think I've become wiser, and, and I have a better understanding, you know, early on. Women will say, Dr. Emerson, I don't feel any respect for him. He's not superior to me. I'm not inferior to him. He hasn't earned the respect. He doesn't deserve the respect. I'm not going to lose a sense of myself. I'm not going to set the feminist team back 50 years. I certainly am not going to subject myself to emotional abuse. I'm not going to give him license to do what he wants to do. I certainly am not going to return to male patriarchy and have this fear of male dominance. But other than these things, I'm really open to hearing what you have to say about (laughs) this. And so those are what I call the mantra. And early on, I stepped on these landmines and women are not mean spirited. They really are fearful. They're afraid that they're going to be you know, treated as a doormat. So early on, I kept blowing up, so to speak, because I stepped on the landmine and I began to you know, discern what it was that was prompting women to make these comments and why they were so afraid, because you and I serve, for hon- serve and die for honor. What we feel about issues of honor and respect is highly positive, highly energizing. Whereas when we talk to a woman about putting on respect toward the spirit of her husband, she goes, gag me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. And that, that's exactly where I was going to dive in. I mean, your main premise to start off with, uh, and I'll have said this in the intro, but you coined it the crazy cycle without love from him. She reacts without respect, without respect from her. He reacts without love. And you cited that early on, this was right at the beginning of the book, early on as a pastor, you're counseling with so many married couples, you found yourself sympathizing with the women and being irked at the guys. And you ultimately get, yet ultimately you came to the conclusion that while in marriages, we tend to give much attention to husbands loving wives. We seldom give focus to wives showing unconditional respect toward husbands. Yet I know you're not pointing the finger at wives. So yeah, speak on that just a little bit more and reconcile that uh, for us.
1: Right. Well, I think you captured it well. I mean, I tended to lean toward the female, uh, but as I did that, I really made her powerless because if it's all his fault, then she's a Hopeless, helpless victim at some level, Hmm. and really has no influence. Hmm. It's all about now trying to change him to get him to initiate correctly so she can respond to him. But that renders her impotent. And I didn't feel that that was wise. I didn't think it was rooted in research. So I I wasn't trying to place the blame on her as much as empower her. And Hmm. uh, it became very exciting when women began to apply some of the things that I was coaching them on and how the men's spirit would soften and the men would move toward the wife to connect. Whereas before he was withdrawing and going quiet in kind of a simmering anger. And the women were blown away by how the men were responding to this new message. For instance, saying, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful right now. I'm upset. How do I say to you, I'm a little insecure now, need a reassurance of your love. I'm not trying to dish you right now. How do I get this message through to you? Well, even that kind of language the men were staying engaged on.
0: So yeah, Tom. Um-
2: I've got a question because I'm, you know, just an avid reader. I read your book years ago and, uh, you know, I listened to, to people all the time and I heard one uh, individual who I respect quite a bit. He, he said this, he said, you know, if you base a marriage, the reason for a marriage, 100% on love, then if one partner falls out of love, the responsibility of the other partner would be to say, okay, I understand it's over. If it's only based on love and I know you can't give a percentage, but when you talk about the main ingredients of love and respect and for the people who are on listening now, maybe some are thinking about marriage or maybe some are in a marriage. Do you have a percentage of what it should be? Is it like, you know, 50% love, 50% respect, or there's four ingredients to make up 90%. What is that kind of that ratio?
1: Well, for instance, we asked um, 7,000 people this question based on the University of Washington's research that love and respect for the two basic ingredients. And though there are a lot of issues like a child dying of cancer, these are real issues. But it's the hostility and contempt that we bring to the spirit of our spouse when we're dealing with those stressors. And the University of Washington discovered that it's that attitude. If I come at my wife, Sarah, with hostility while we're talking about money, She deflates not because of money mismanagement. She deflates because at a certain point she's feeling that I'm very unloving. And that's the root problem, okay? Now, in terms of those 7,000 people, based on that, plus the Bible in Ephesians 5.33 says a husband must love his wife and a wife must respect her husband. It's very gender-specific, and the University of Washington got gender-specific. And I always add, we all need love and respect equally. There's no debate that she needs R-E-S-P-E-C-T and he needs L-O-V-E. But these 7,000 people, we asked the question, when you're in a conflict with your spouse, do you feel unloved at that moment or disrespected? Asking the question based on the research and Ephesians 5.33, 83% of the men, Tom, said they feel disrespected. And 72% of the women say they feel unloved. So that may be getting a little bit at that percentage. And also Shawnee Feldhahn, who's a graduate of Harvard Law, not law school, but uh, graduate school, she uh, did a research uh, decision analyst out of Houston, and they surveyed the American male, not just the church male, but the American male. And there were a series of questions, one of which, and Shawnee asked me, should I ask this? And I said, oh, absolutely. And here was the question they asked these 400 men. And it blew the secular researchers away to such an extent that they ran the test again. But the question was, would you men rather be left alone and unloved in the world or be viewed as inadequate and disrespected by everyone? Almost 75% of the men said they'd rather be left alone and unloved. (laughs) But what we've done today is we've interpreted the male spirit through a narcissistic profile that feels egotistical to a woman. And yet you and I throw ourselves on a hand grenade in war to save our buddy because it's rooted in an issue of honor. It is extremely self sacrificing. It's extremely service oriented. But when women hear our need for respect, they filter it, not because they're mean spirited, again, goes back to that fear. They're afraid of what that is going to mean. But in answer to your question, we're pushing 75 to 80% of the men. I've even had men kind of embarrassingly come to me quietly and say, is it wrong for me to want my wife to respect me more than for her to love me? (laughs) And of course, women cannot grasp that. It's because respect at best is a marginal issue. But if it's seen as a need, that he has a need for you to, to respect who he is apart from his performance. And as Kevin said earlier, it's unconditional respect, which is an oxymoron in the culture. Everybody believes respect must be earned rather than giving that as an unconditional gift. So what we always have to clarify, it's showing a positive regard toward the spirit of your husband when you're confronting things about him that aren't respectable because no human being responds to contempt. No woman responds to contempt, nor does a man. But what we're up against is that women will say, but he should know that I really didn't mean it and she doesn't mean it. And so what you have here is a lot of confusion between men and women of goodwill. Does this make sense?
0: Absolutely. And that report, that's, that's incredible. As a matter of fact, uh, I'll tell you, Shanti uh, Feldhahn, we interviewed her, I think two weeks ago on her new book. Yeah. The kindness uh, challenge. It it is. It's not published yet. I think it'll be in the next week or so. She was incredible. I was actually thinking about it this morning so much. I emailed her with a couple more questions. So big fan. Uh, There. Well, as we dig into some of these topics, I do want to just come back and as much as we would say, hey, doing this is the right thing to do. Uh looking at this goal and the motive, I mean when you talk about the crazy cycle, you've then followed that with the energizing cycle and the reward cycle. And it sounds like a recipe for hope, which is, of course is one of the favorite topics here at Ziggler. So I wanted to start off so that everyone listening can hear if they take action on this, what are the payoffs. I know it sounds again elementary, but to put them out there that this is just not an altruistic of, uh endeavor here, this is something that benefits us greatly. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Well, the you, the crazy cycle as you pointed out, without love, she reacts without respect and without respect, he reacts without love. And that's based on this felt need during conflict. Again, she needs respect, he needs love, but we just say to the person listening, you have to decide how that plays itself out in your relationship. And if that crazy cycle makes sense, then it, it, it's common sense that would say that if I deprive my wife of love, if she feels unloved during conflict, if I look at her, I have that attitude of condescending, you know, you know whatever. I can't believe you spent that $500. You can't budget, man. I mean, whatever it is that we do and you see her spirit deflate, Uh, It's not rocket science to conclude this isn't working, Uh, that she has a vulnerability when she feels that I'm not loving her for who she is. And the same thing when a woman looks at a man with a look or a look of disgust toward his spirit uh, and he begins to think you're just using this topic as an opportunity to send me a message that you don't like who I am as a human being. When our spouse begins to conclude that you really don't love me for who I am. You really don't respect me for who I am. Yeah, I'm a I'm an imperfect person, but somehow I feel in this relationship that you find me unacceptable. If that's how we appear, but that's not really the message we intend to send, then we need to start backpedaling. We need to come back off of it, not the least of which is a guy to say, you know, my old man, he never did anything loving. I don't know how to do this love thing, and I get angry, Uh, but this is the third time you backed into the garage, and you're costing me money. How do I say this in a way that you don't feel in love? If he uses her mother tongue of love, she'll soften. She'll stay engaged, but when he starts calling her names, when he starts coming at her, these are completely ineffective methods to somehow achieve what otherwise might be a worthy end. And the same thing, if the husband says, can we be sexually intimate tonight? And she says, is that all you ever think about, you animal? Well, his spirit deflates. Why? Because you stepped on his air hose. He has a respect tank, and he needs to feel that you respect who he is, created in the image of God apart from maybe you know his poor performances. And when he begins to feel that you despise who he is, you're going to lose his heart. So what you have to do is backpedal. You have to say, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to diss you right now. I'm just feeling ill and, and the kids are sick and I, I shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me? And he'll re-engage because he knows that she's not, at the end of the day, trying to be disrespectful. And most men know that women are extremely virtuous gals. They're good-hearted, good-willed women. But if we don't somehow let them know that we just stepped on their air hose, then people take up offense. And we feel vulnerable and we start shutting down on the other person. We close off our spirit because we're vulnerable to the message. I really don't love you and I really don't respect who you are as a human being. Just doesn't work. So that would be the first thing. We've got to soften this negativity.
0: Well, you just mentioned conflict. And as I first got into the book in your message, I I was I think just thinking of some of the normal everyday goings on at the house and and things said, and it's taken this way or taken that way. But you seem to make a distinction between that and the, in essence, the acute crucible of conflict. Um, So is that, is that two separate? I mean, I know it all ebbs into the same thing, but you're really, you put a lot of emphasis on this as it comes down to conflict. I guess that's just because that's where it's exacerbated. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's an excellent question. I mean, we're all going to have normal conflict if I'm hearing you correctly. you know, We're going to have honest differences of opinion, and it doesn't necessarily escalate to the crazy cycle. Uh, And that has to, though, be decoded and discerned. And one of the indicators that I say is when you see the spirit of your spouse deflate, mm-hmm. and Sarah used to say this, we didn't know this early on in marriage. we married, we've been over, married over four decades, 1973, we married. And she makes the comment on our conferences. She knew there were moments when she's basically stepped over the line. She pushed me too far and she would see my spirit deflate. I would just, you know, it was, and she said, I didn't know what I had done, but I, I knew I'd what well, we now knew she had sent a message of disrespect. It was a look it was and I was interpreting that as you don't you don't really like me. You don't respect me. You don't you don't have any admiration for me. And and, and so she knew and the same thing when I would say things in such a way that I, I could just see that, uh oh, the issue was no longer the issue. <laughs> and not only were we gonna have to now solve the issue, there was another issue that I was gonna have to deal with. And now I had two problems. The one that we had just had and now the new one I just created. But I realized and she would voice it, you, you just it felt so unloving to me. And women give a voice and vocabulary to their need to be love because we say love is unconditional. And therefore, if the, the woman feels unloved, the man has a responsibility to change. But because the culture subscribes to the idea that respect must be earned, then he has to earn it. And, and if he doesn't deserve it, she doesn't have to show it. And of course, once you lock into that, the man is responsible for the unconditional love and he's responsible for the respect. And that probably explains why 85% of the men just withdraw in Stonewall. They just shut down because they lose energy in the relationship.
0: Well, we are just getting rolling towards the depth of this interview. So, a quick pause to share a couple really cool services. The first is Breather, dedicated workspaces. I just did a phone call with these guys. Really great concept I did not even know about and will use. So, in my recent travels, I've become a fan of Uber and Lyft where I can get a ride on demand. Breather has now done this with workspaces. I mean, every time I've needed to book a meeting or event for work or for, business, a whole set of potential problems to consider. Where's the most convenient location? What will the space be like? Will there be good Wi-Fi? I need a big computer monitor. Is it quiet and without distractions? Hotel conference rooms have so many hoops to jump through to reserve and loose ends to deal with. And if you're like me, you've tried to circumvent things by just jamming people into a hotel bedroom or even a room at a restaurant. It never works out well. So to keep it from being a massive undertaking or making do with a subpar space, breather is filling a much needed void. So breather has beautiful, inspiring workspaces for your offsites, team meetings, client meetings, or even individual work. It's readily available. You know what to expect. You can see the pictures of the place online and you only pay for the time you need a, a month, a day, or even just an hour. There are no minimums or commitments with breather like the catering minimums and such that hotels often have breather owns all their spaces. So you get top quality and an excellent consistent experience every time. So breather is now in LA, New York, San Francisco, Palo Alto, Boston, Chicago, DC, Toronto, Montreal, Montreal, London, And they're growing rapidly. No need to overpay for space. You don't need book a breather space just for the time you need it and spend hundreds, not thousands. So you can try breather right now. You'll receive a $100 coupon off your first booking. When you go to breather.com slash Ziggler, you'll see our name right on the page. That's $100 off your first booking. When you go to breather.com slash Ziggler. So another awesome service that I love, Upside, the best new way to buy business travel. If you are buying airfare and hotel together, You are throwing away money if you do not do it with upside.com. If you're not a business traveler, you know someone who is, you'll be a hero if you tell them about upside. So here's why I'm now a loyal customer. Every time I buy a trip at upside, I save a ton of money and they give me an Amazon gift card worth hundred, 200, 300 bucks every time. The way they do it's really clever. Upside bundles your flights and hotel together for one low price. And bundled pricing saves money, especially on business travel. That's what they told me about and taught me here. So Upside gives you free Amazon gift cards. If you're a frequent business traveler, your company can save a ton of money. And you can get thousands a year just for buying your air and hotel together at Upside. Plus, you still get all your miles. So try upside.com if you're shopping for business travel it takes about three minutes to see how much money you can save by buying your flights and hotel together for one low price jay walker is the ceo he was a founder of priceline and he knows how to save people money i talked with him not long ago he is on fire about this new offering as i am as well so what we've arranged for you use my code ziggler z-i-g-l-a-r and you're guaranteed to get at least one hundred dollars in amazon gift card your first trip. Again, the code is Ziggler. It gets you at least a hundred dollar Amazon gift card for free. So save big on travel, get a big gift card. Every trip upside.com is my business travel source period. Again, upside.com. There is a minimum purchase required. See the site for complete details. Okay. Well, you've mentioned the word unconditional a lot. And as I was thinking about this and my own marriage, I mean, of course, if I am being loving to my wife, it's easy for her to be respectful. She's being respectful to me. Uh, It's easy for me to be loving. So then we get to that crux of our humanity and our, um, our weak moments when she is going to respond to me in a very lacking in respect way. And that's going to happen. So in doing that, I, I almost feel like there's a preparation or, or there must be, or I'm going to ask you, what is that preparation that I must take so that when that does happen, when she falls, when I fall, that we are prepared to in that moment, in a sense, be the, and it sounds bad. I couldn't find a good terminology, but be the bigger person or show that unconditional love anyways. Is there a preparation for that?
1: Well, and we say, who moves first? The one who sees himself or herself as the most mature. That's how we get at the point that you're making. But yeah, we're going to get on that crazy cycle. Uh, And when we get on that crazy cycle, who moves first? Well, the one who sees himself or herself as the most mature. Part of the illumination is if if two people are willing to move forward on this and subscribe to the idea that not only is love unconditional, but respect is unconditional. And even, you know... uh, psychology and the the social studies have have revealed you have to show what is called unconditional positive regard toward the spirit of another human being if you show hostility and contempt toward the spirit of a person because they failed you you won't win their heart you can maybe win that argument you can do whatever but you will not ultimately influence that person hostility and contempt in a chronic sense destroys relationships so but if, in your case of your wife, if she is willing to subscribe to the idea that respect is unconditional and that she has a responsibility to show you positive regard toward your heart, even though you fail to be who she expects you to be, then you're going to move forward very positively on this. What we're up against is the idea, as I said earlier, the man must show unconditional love no matter what, whereas the wife does not have to show respect if she does not feel that he has earned it. And the criteria for that is he ought to be as loving as she is. But what we're up against in all the research, women are nurturers. Women are the caregivers. It's off the charts. I have my PhD in child and family ecology. And it's off the charts in terms of how women care. So right from the get-go, men are going to come across as less caring, less sensitive, less loving than typically the woman is. And so what happens is a judgmentalism sets in. And she begins to be very critical toward him. And what she has to do is make an adjustment there. And part of that adjustment is to say, look, I'm very mad at you. I'm upset with you. How do I say this in a way that you don't feel I'm trying to dishonor you? How do I do this? But some women won't do that because they feel they're losing power. And we're pointing out you're not losing power. You're actually empowering yourself. And most good-willed men will immediately respond to that.
0: Well, you're hitting on something there that I I wouldn't say that I have been ignorant of, but I think I probably am continuing to kick against the goads with is that as a man coming into this intimate relationship, I by proxy am handicapped. Am I hearing you right?
1: Well, the culture says you are. The culture says you are. For instance, when I wrote Love and Respect, the publisher said, Write it to women. I said, Why? Because women are the ones who read the marriage books. Mm. And I countered, I said, Is did it ever occur to you because you're telling men like me to write it to women? Mm. I said, You let me write this book in a fair and balanced way, and men will read it. Look at how men conduct themselves in courtship. See, many women think it's bait and switch. We're one way during courtship and then we switch after marriage. But The contempt comes after marriage. It doesn't come during courtship from her. And she's not trying to be contemptuous, but there is also a change in her. The look changes. One of looking up to the glow to that is gone, and he doesn't know how to get it back. But 49% of those who initiate who come to our love and respect conference is the male. And one of the encouraging points that I make is men are not indifferent to this. But if you don't speak a man's mother tongue, then he's not going to stay engaged. He's not going to respond. And this is why this has revolutionized marriages because once women have used these vocabulary words with someone like you, that it, 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 it will work. And so I'm not defending all male behavior. My dad had enraged issues. My mom separated for six years because my dad had a violent tendency. I'm very sensitive to this. I'm a wounded healer because of that. So I don't defend all male behavior. But there are a whole lot of good-willed men who would literally die for their wives who feel like you do. I come into this thing, and I feel at a disadvantage, and somehow I'm the bad guy, and I can never be good enough, and she'll never be happy enough, and happy life, happy wife, and the whole responsibility and onus is put back on him. And I'm saying men will shut down at a certain point, and women will not be empowered. If we can look at male and female as equal, though we're not the same, and begin to believe we both have tools... This works, and we uh, focus on the family spent $50,000 to evaluate the effectiveness of this message of love and respect, and it's mind-boggling. It's not a guarantee, but if there is any good individual listening, and you apply these to another goodwilled person, I mean, this thing can take off exponentially. that makes so sense?
2: I've got a question, kind of a practical tip or a tool question uh, you know, dad used to do this thing. He he had it all pre-planned. When he would show up for an airline, if if the flight was delayed, he would immediately tell the, you know, the gate agent, fantastic. And they would go, why your flight's going to be canceled. You're going to have to spend the night. And he would say, fantastic. And so they would freak out and they'd go, well, why are you, you know, excited about this? And he would say, well, There's only three reasons it's delayed. Bad weather, bad airplane, or or something's wrong with the flight crew. And I don't want to be up there. I want to be down here. (laughs) And so he had this mental model of that situation where he never knew when it was going to happen. He just knew it would. So for men and women out there, I'm a man and I come home and either the table is set against me or I step into it unknowingly right, and you can feel it coming, so what is the pre-planned defusing, you know, statement or response or whatever that I can do, and the same for, for the ladies out there, because, I mean, let, let's face it, I have bad days, and, uh, you know, sometimes I'm just not the most approachable, you know, happy-go-lucky person when I get home, what could I tell my wife, hey, when when you see me in this state what you know what can she say to just change that maybe just because I you know I've done dad's thing before and it's funny it works the amazing thing is you're going to catch the next flight that you could get on anyway nothing changes but you have fun between then and when you leave so
1: yes well and I think uh, I love your dad's illustration because he was rightly interpreting probably the lay of the lamp I mean it was an accurate Rather than personalizing and taking this as an affront that somehow people are inefficient and don't they understand how important I am, he thought logically what would be the triggering reason for this and the three reasons that you established are not uh, unreasonable. And so it would be fantastic. And we call that reframing, but it's reframing based on the facts. So for instance, if you come home and your wife's upset, one of the things that I didn't know how this would play in teoria, so to speak. But we began to espouse the idea of trusting your spouse's goodwill. Does your wife have goodwill? And I, thousands of men have said, of course she does. I mean, at the moment, I don't think so. I think I want to get her a broom so she can fly across the living room. You know, <laughs> there's this feeling, you know, that she's crazy or whatever. But what, 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 when, when you sit down and say, is she a goodwill, virtuous woman? Almost all men would say, absolutely. I mean, there's, I mean, she's head and shoulders more loving than I am, more caring. She thinks about me. She prays for people. So what we have to do at these moments of tension is remind ourselves that we're allies, not enemies. That doesn't change the fact that we're still frustrated, but just that little tweaking. She's a good-willed woman. I'm upset with her. She's upset with me, but I'm not going to escalate this to some declaration of a war and somehow treat her as an enemy who I despise because I think she despises me. That is an uh, over-interpretation, and this has really helped a lot of couples. When they've said, we've made a decision to believe each person's goodwill. Another thing that I talk about is that I believe God made us male and female. And neither one of us are wrong, unless there's a moral issue. Unless your husband is saying, should we sell the kids for cocaine? <laughs> unless it's a, a moral issue, almost all conflicts is a preference issue. It's a clashing of preferences. Should we send them to a Christian school or to a secular school? Should we you know, buy this color carpet or that? These are not moral issues. But these are the issues that create tension between us. And one of the things that has really played in Pure as well is this idea that we're pink and blue. Neither one of us are wrong. We're just different. And couples were humored here, put on my pink sunglasses. You're not seeing this from my perspective. Well, no, put in my blue hearing aids. You're not hearing me right now. And kind of lightening up a little bit. And rather than concluding that because I know I'm right, therefore my spouse has to be wrong. And we sometimes subscribe to this because as a culture, we said men and women are equal. And then we've concluded, and it's a non sequitur, that we are the same. No, there's an XY XX chromosome. There's an egg. There's a sperm. There are 400% some chemicals flooding over a female in the womb that causes the little girl to have eye-to-eye contact when she comes out of the womb. The nurturing capabilities we referenced earlier. These are rooted in biology that affects every part of a male and female. And oftentimes, in almost every day, Sarah and I get into some little tension because she's looking at it as a female and I'm looking at it as a male. And instead of resenting that, we come to this point, she's not wrong, she's just different. And just because I feel I'm right doesn't make her wrong. It just means that maybe my thought is better than hers. It doesn't make hers bad. And this has also been something that's been very helpful to us. Even though it's irritating, we stay lighter. We don't go into the crazy cycle because we trust the goodwill. And we also see that we have honest differences of opinion. And neither one of us are wrong just because we differ. We can both be right. Then we have to decide who's got the better insight on this particular situation. And that's a process. See, so many of us uh, have to decide, is the presentation of Hollywood accurate, that you can have a 99% romantic sexual relationship? And the answer to that is no. We all know that, but we don't know that. And it's what I call the 80-20 rule instead. 20% of a marriage is going to have honest tension, and it's going to have difficulties. And you're also maybe going to have a five-year-old that dies of cancer, and you're not going to go to Hawaii and have a second honeymoon. There are heavy issues that come to all of us. And the question on the table is, how do we deal with those 20% troubling moments? Hmm. And I say, sailors in the Navy prepare for the storm prior to the storm. And then when they're in the open seas and the storm comes, they don't jump ship. They don't freak out. You don't hear in the evening news, 300 sailors went over the rail today. Well, why? Well, there's a storm. (laughs) They didn't sign up for storms. (laughs) And so we have trouble in marriage. And what do we do? We jump ship. And so my challenge is if we don't accept that 20%, then a little leaven leavens the whole. Then suddenly we begin to resent the other person. We shouldn't be having these tensions. We should be having relationship like Hollywood says. And Hollywood is, consists of a lot of intellectual good-willed people who they themselves will acknowledge they don't do this in real life. They too struggle. So we need to be mature and say, look, there are going to be, be these tensions and we need to roll with it during the storm. Because if you don't, you'll end up... Adversely infecting the 80% and the friendship that God intends for us to have will suddenly just kind of go out the window. And this has also been a freeing thing called the 80-20. Allow for some of this. So like your dad, he allowed for the the flight to be canceled. He put it within his worldview. This is going to happen. And when it does, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. And in fact, it might have prevented the end of my world. <laughs>
0: Well, to, so to encapsulate some of what you just said, you really gave, uh, in essence, two foundational pillars, it felt like, that in this, so I'm, I'll speak from first person with my wife, it's one, understanding and valuing her different perspective, which that's not, uh, you know, complete rocket science but I still forget it and I still come to it with my perspective so understanding uh, being willing to understand her perspective one but then that other one you said it a couple of times believing in each other's goodwill at the core that those feel like these are I, I wish I had that in premarital counseling uh, it's, I mean is that it is that is that two primary efforts in this love and respect journey is to 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 understand put those on the table and agree on both yeah. of those.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think, as you point out, we all forget it. And the person who's listening think, man, you know, don't don't beat up on yourself. I mean, I need to revisit this. But it is that 80-20 rule. It's not wrong, just different. But believing in that goodwill and coming to that realization that though we're equal, we're not the same. And that pink is not wrong for not being blue. And blue is not wrong for not being pink. And that we bring something. You know, it has been said, if, if, if we both are absolutely the same, one of us is unnecessary.
0: Okay. Okay. So in this, another, another question we have, uh, one of the books that I did read early on in marriage was Gary Chapman's the five love languages. Uh, matter of fact, we're doing, we're interviewing, uh, Dr. Paul White, who with Gary Chapman wrote the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. That's an upcoming interview that Tom and I have So with that perspective, as I, and I'm and again, first person, this is, this is recent, even in my own marriage where we were talking about these issues and realized, okay, we're going to have to come together because I think some things have even changed for each other. So I had to ask my wife, what is it then that does speak love to you and for her to understand what does speak respect to me? So it, kind of a two part question. One is I assume that that is a very tangible exercise that we need to do to start walking out this love and respect effort. Uh, Or is that a primary initial exercise? And two, can it change over time to where we do need to be revisiting that over and over again, because how we feel may change and evolve somewhat, or is it going to be pretty static? So
1: I'll let you. Oh, no, no, no. I agree with that. I mean, it's not static. It does change. And we, have different needs over the years, Uh, You know, as we see it with grandfathers, beginning to have a greater fondness for the family unit than years he was, you know, on the road and, you know, just focused on his vision. But then, so we all come to these seasons. Uh, Women uh, later on are are much more interested in sexual intimacy uh, than they were early on, you know, and the men are a little bit less. I mean, so there are different ways, and we begin to filter these things differently. But I think what you did with your wife is just profound, and I think if everyone would follow your example, it would be tremendous that we ask the question, you know, what would make you feel loved? What would make you feel respected? What 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 do I do that cause you to feel unloved? And what do I do that cause you to feel disrespected? Of course, this is a very threatening question to ask. If there's tension in the relationship, we don't want to hear that. And particularly because those messages supposedly have been sent to us anyway. And so, duh, I've been telling you for 18 years, you know, But if two people are willing to revisit that, as you did with your wife in such a a mature way, then we can, I think, really move forward quite rapidly. But here's the the key, that we have to allow the other person to have a vulnerability. It would be so easy for you to judge your wife for feeling unloved when you you can't imagine why she would feel unloved about that. So, for instance, you buy her a diet book because she's complaining about gaining 10 pounds. And she goes ballistic and says you're the most unloving human being. But if she gave you a diet book, you'd say, hey, thanks, what's for dinner? The, the research on body image is off the charts. Females are hypersensitive to how they look. And they interpret comments along that line to mean you'll only love me if I look like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. Whereas you and I can have a 50-pound spread in the front and the back, and we still know Atlas is inside there. You know, and we're not intimidated as much, generally speaking. So what happens is when she says you came across very unlovingly when you gave me the diet book, you're in disbelief. Look, it's no big deal. See if I ever buy you a diet book again. So what we do is we dismiss her vulnerability because we can't imagine deflating over something so ridiculous. And the best gift we'll give to her is we'll just never bring it up. You know, we'll just not do that again. But in our own mind, we think, man, she makes a mountain out of a molehill. And what happens then is we dismiss the other because where they have a vulnerability, I don't. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, you know, the same thing. You know, the, the wife buys the third marriage book for the two of them to read in the last 12 months. And he sees the book setting over there and he just shuts down. Because he hears a message to that third marriage book. I don't mm-hmm. accept you. I don't approve of you. And I don't respect who you are, buster, unless you change and become more loving like me. She'd be on the phone to her girlfriend's bragging. He bought a marriage book. No, I didn't tell him. I didn't even hint. No, he did See, it's bragging right. She's energized by that, whereas we deflate over the third marriage book. Why? Because men have a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Women don't filter the third marriage book as a message of disapproval. They interpreted that as you value me, you value the marriage, we're going to improve it. They just filter it totally different. You and I filter it a different way. And the question on the table is whether women will dismiss the husband's vulnerability here and tell him that he's egotistical and the profile and narcissism is correct or that God just made him different. And he's not wrong for that vulnerability. He's just different. And once we're willing then to hear the other, I deflate when you say this. And if the other person says, well, you need to grow up, well, then that'll shut that conversation down right now. But if Sarah and I can have that conversation right or wrong, honey, when you come across me this way, I feel vulnerable. I shouldn't, I should be a mature man ready to, you know, die for you. But the fact is I, I am, I think I'm more vulnerable to you than any person on the planet and I just am vulnerable. And once she's willing to give me some grace there, wow, then I can be more relaxed and vice versa. And it just works. But, Back to your point, you both bring a maturity there, others out there, that can escalate into a serious conflict unless they follow the criteria that I'm establishing here of allowing the other person to share a vulnerability, even though we couldn't imagine at all why they would feel that way. Trust their heart that they're being honest.
0: Well, so much of what you're sharing here, it... um... It's a paradigm shift. I mean, when you say it, it makes so much sense. Of course, you're hitting the nail on the head. You must be wiretapping my house uh, as well as some other folks, I imagine. But it's very unnatural, Where, it, which is so much of the personal development focus that we have here on The Ziggler Show, whether we're talking about a, a message from Zig or from Shanti Feldhahn or you, because you're calling me to... Give to my wife. I naturally, of course, want to give to her in the same way that I want to be given to. That's just natural as rolling out of bed. And you're telling me, no, I'm going to have to respond in a, at least initially an unnatural way. And if I can. I'm going to have to embrace that. I mean, that that is a new, that is a new habit, a new paradigm shift that in the moment we have. that. I mean, right now you're inspiring me. I'm ready to go home and do this. And it's going to be so hard not to fall immediately. As soon as that comes up, she says, whatever. And I'm going to hit myself the next morning. Go. I missed it. I missed it. This is a this is a daily working out which is of course why you you have the workbook which I went through and is is incredible. I really want to do that with my wife. I want to write it down pen to paper because this is going to take a lot of intentional changing of my nature, which of course anything good personal development wise does, but this is um I, I mean again sounds elementary, but this this is going to be a journey. I mean this is a this is a this is a time period that we're going to have to work this out and walk this out together in order to do it well. But I assume you're giving us the hope that we can do this and it's going to become habit that we do at the right moment instantaneously.
1: Well, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it, we're going to be there anyway. We're going to have these conflicts and what we end up doing is we, we use methods that we think is sending that message. So a husband is unloving to motivate his wife to be respectful and she's disrespectful to motivate him to be loving. And what we have to realize is that you can't be neutral on this. We're all doing things every day when we enter. But, but here's what makes it uh, a little bit difficult and why I think you're, you're saying what you're saying. I said earlier, 85% of those who stonewall withdraws withdraw is the man because his heartbeats get to 99 beats per minute. They, they, they set up heart monitors and physiology in this level laboratory at the University of Washington. And 99 beats per minute is warrior mode. So when we get into a conflict, there's either going to be fight or flight. Well, the man doesn't want to fight with his wife, so you withdraw. And, and the women were asked, what do you feel when he withdraws? They said it feels like an act of hostility. Mm-hmm. But I, in my research, will tell you that every man does it out of an act of honor. Mm-hmm. So it raises the question, is it an act of hostility or an act of honor? It just depends on whether you're pink or blue. But why it's so difficult is that when you and I shut down, we actually think we're doing the honorable thing on the heels of something that probably felt disrespectful. So we see ourselves as filled with goodwill, trying to de-escalate what is going to get carried out of, you know, get out of control here. And, and she's filtering this through a totally different grid. She doesn't see this as rooted in honor. She doesn't see that what she just did was disrespectful. Instead, she was feeling unloved and she was trying to do the loving thing. And this is why it becomes a real challenge, because each of us feels our hearts are in the right place. Uh We don't get up early in the morning to storyboard ways to irritate the other person. But when we go to bed at night, something has happened from 6 until 10 where we're mad at each other. And we have a difficulty decoding what's going on because both of us feel that our hearts are in the right place. So too, on the other side, the research points out women criticize and complain, criticize and complain. And as we pointed out, the men were asked, what do you feel about that criticism? Ongoing criticism feels like an act of contempt toward me. She's just using the topic as an opportunity to send me a message. She doesn't like who I am. But all that research I pointed out about women being nurturers, it's an act of care. The reason she confronts isn't to control, but because she wants to connect. She cares. In her whole mindset, it's rooted in care. So it raises the question, is it an act of care or is it an act of contempt? It depends on whether you videotape in pink or videotape in blue. But what makes it so difficult is that she knows her heart's in the right place while he's shutting down. And so this becomes really difficult. He's feeling she's being disrespectful. She feels she's being loving. He thinks he's doing the honorable thing. She thinks he's hostile. But once we get these simple grids in place, it doesn't become any more complex. Once we understand some of these basic ideas of love and respect, and you ask ourselves, hey, we're in a conflict right now, and my spouse's spirit is deflated. Do I have the, the 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 maturity to say to Sarah that I just come across in a way that felt unloving to you? Because you just react in a way that felt disrespectful to me, but I Obviously, I did something earlier on that triggered all of this. Or Sarah says to me, hey, I see. what did I, whoa, did I just step on your air hose? What, what just happened here? Uh, did I just say something that dishonored you? Because that was not my intent. And, and if two people are willing to do that yeah. and are willing to hear the person say, yeah, you did, and then we say, I'm so sorry, here's the powerful thing. When you enter the other person's mother tongue and say, I was sorry, honey, for being unloving, it's almost axiomatic for a woman to receive that. It's a rare woman who doesn't say, well, I'm sorry too. I shouldn't have reacted that way. The research points out women say, I'm sorry, incessantly. And she will immediately respond because you've entered into her female code where she feels obligated to meet you halfway. And when you say to a man, I dishonored you, you've entered what I call the honor code. And it's very compelling for him to soften and some make some kind of gesture everything's okay. I do forgive and we're good to go again. It's powerful. It's powerful stuff, Kevin.
2: So I've got, I've got two quotes for you. Yes. One of them might even be yours. I, I think I know who said it, but I'm not 100% <laughs> positive. But one of them is a famous Zig Ziglar quote. You're probably thinking of the same one. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want.
1: Beautiful. Oh, wow.
2: So as a husband, I want respect. So I give my wife love Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's dad's most famous quote. Well, I mean, it's what I call
1: the energizing cycle. His love motivates her respect and her respect motivates his love. And it now goes upward rather than the crazy cycle without love. She reacts without respect, without respect, he reacts without love. The opposite is if you want to spiral upwards, his love motivates her respect, her respect motivates his love. The challenge, of course, and when we do our conferences, the culture says his love motivates her love and her love motivates his love mm-hmm. and we will all be happy. The idea of a man's need for respect has been removed from the marrow Radar screen. It's, it's contrary to the culture of intimacy. But if you put it back on there and realize this is a need, not a narcissistic proclivity, that this is something he needs. This is what motivates him. And one of the points I make is the key to motivating another person is meeting that person's deepest need, especially during conflict. When Sarah and I are in a conflict, and if I, in a better moment, come across humbly and and lovingly or say, you know, I'm sorry, I, 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 I reacted unlovingly. I was out of line. That's my bad. She'll almost always soften because it's highly motivational to her. She wants to come under that kind of influence. And when she's upset with me and really comes at me and sees my spirit deflate and she backpedaled and said, wait a minute, this is my bad. I dishonored you. You would literally die for me if I don't kill you first. <laughs> and that yeah, I dishonored you. When she uses that vocabulary, I mean, it's powerful. It is. And it's just something I, I turn toward her and my spirit is re-energized. It, it is powerful stuff. And one of the points I make that gives hope to people is you don't have to do this perfectly. All you have to do is acknowledge those moments when you do it imperfectly, and your spouse is probably going to meet you halfway, because we don't expect the other person to be perfect. We just expect them to be aware of those moments when they step on our air hose, and if they humbly say, hey, I pushed it too far, most everyone that I've met is willing to kind of meet you halfway. This is why I don't want people to be discouraged about this, because it really does work, and it works quite simply. And many people get derailed. Back to that research, Uh, there were, it wasn't a large sample, but there were a significant number of people who had come to our Love and Respect two-day conference who either were divorced, and they came as two divorced people together, or they were in the process of filing for divorce. And Jim Daly and I talked about the findings. Sixty percent of those either remarried or called off the divorce. And why? Why? Because one of the points I make is people get derailed due to an honest misunderstanding, not because of ill will. They just simply were reacting rather than, you know, thinking through, you know, what's going on here. And over a period of time, they began to resent each other. But to your father's point, you it really is true. If you want respect as a husband, then do the loving thing. And if you say, well, my wife doesn't understand this thing about respect, then in humility, explain things to her on the heels of being loving. Honey, you would help me here understand something. When I'm trying to do this loving thing, can you meet me a little way? Most women are very teachable. She'll say, I didn't know. I didn't know. Really, you know, women are very engaged in this. But you can't be unloving until you don't have, you know, you're respectful bone in your body, woman. And I'm not going to talk to you for three days to teach you to respect me. That's completely ineffective. So you will not get what you need if you deprive your spouse of what they need is another way of saying it.
2: I love that. So here's the second quote. Um, And I don't, I heard my brother-in-law say this, so it could be his quote. It's one of those quotes that sounds so good. It's probably in Proverbs somewhere. But he said this, somebody asked him about his relationship with my sister. And he said, my when i understood that my responsibility to my my primary response my only responsibility to my wife was is to create the environment that will allow her to become all that god created her to be yeah. oh beautiful
1: yeah. that is a very mature position and almost every woman just softens, you know, when she hears that.
2: Is that a, so that could be a reverse. A a wife's responsibility is to create the environment that will allow her husband to become all that God created him to become.
1: That's exactly right. And that's the other side of the equation that has not been put on the table where we have been campaigning since 1999 to say there are two people in this marriage. And though they're equal, they're not the same. And the research we pointed out, men respond to this issue of respect. That's why Gary Chapman and I had a conversation on the radio program the love languages should add to this the respect languages. Or when you talk about uh, gift giving, when you talk about words of affirmation, give a gift to a man that feels honoring to him. Use words of affirmation that use the word respect. When we talk always about love, that's in the woman's domain. And so when you talk about I'm going to create the most loving environment for my wife, she's very excited about that. But when women then say, I'm going to create the most loving environment for my husband, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, that's why, again, what you said earlier, Kevin, we have a tendency to bring to the table what we think we need. And because it's all been about love, then the men are challenged to do the loving thing. And the women are automatically on board with trying to do the loving thing. I've had countless women say, I was loving my husband all the time. And he would say, I know you love me. That's not what I need from you. And she said she was completely confused. Why? Because she got into the love and respect message and realized that as she was communicating her love, she would often do times with disrespect as well. And she didn't understand that even though she was making love deposits, there were other times she was making larger withdrawals. But the women didn't know why they were losing the heart of their husband, they, because the women are not mean-spirited about this. But the University of Washington said, when a woman is upset, her eyes darken, her face turns sour, hand on the hip, scolding finger, the sigh, the roll in the eyes, and when estrogen kicks in, the word choice of contempt is incredible. And these are referred to as the gestures of contempt. And I say to women, is there anybody in his world who talks to him the way you do? And I said, no then he's not understanding the cry of your heart. He thinks you're using this topic to send him a message that you find him despicable as a person. And you need to diffuse that. You need to let him know that. Because this idea that because we're equal, we're the same, when women are upset, their countenance is totally different. Men go quiet. They will have that angry look periodically, and they can get violent. There are these abuses out there. But generally, they just shut down, stop talking. Whereas the woman aggressively moves toward the man and she's got the finger and she's doing these things. And so women are very confessional. They'll all raise their hand and say, I do that. So then I help him understand her heart's in the right place and you need to trust her heart, even though she's overstepping it here because there's no one who talks to you that way, but that's not her motive. But then I challenge her. You've got to soften this. You're not going to lose power. You can soften this. You don't have to come across that way. Truth carries its own weight. And just say, how do I say this in an honorable way? And how can I tell you that what you did felt so unloving without you interpreting me as being disrespectful or using this issue as an opportunity to send you a message? I don't like you. Coach me. Tell me how to do this. And almost every husband will engage her at that point and might even grin when she says it.
0: I mean, Emerson, you are, um, this is this is not just close to home. You're in my home. Uh, I mean, this has been a recent thing. I'm, I'm, uh, we're about to hit twenty. Uh, four years of marriage and we've been grappling with this. Uh, so my wife, we'll be, we're going to go through the book. We're going to listen to this. She listens to a lot of the podcasts and go through this. Cause we have literally hit on this and she does struggle with respect. She had a dad who was very stern, very stoic military in respect. So she equivocates it with, or, or, or uh, uh, attrib- gives it that, that attribute. And yet you nailed it. When you mentioned Gary Chapman's five languages of love and the love languages, which I really appreciate, give a lot of value to. Mm -hmm. But as you were talking a minute ago, when we look at those love languages, when she is acting in a way that feels disrespectful to me, none of those speak love. None of them. And I've been vaguely aware of that, maybe subconsciously, but now as you talk about it, absolutely. I, I relate to that a hundred percent. Uh,
1: yeah, well, no. And I, and, and your wife is not alone in this. And again, it's rooted in a fear. And a lot of times it's family of origin issues, a father figure or whatever. And I, the challenge is that women are not trying to be disrespectful, but they have a fear and what we have to do. And what we've always been you know, trying to do since 99 is help women understand. We're talking about meeting a need. We're not talking about feeding his ego. We're talking about a need that he has that actually compels him to serve you and die for you. And if you see it from the standpoint of meeting the need of his heart, we're not talking about respecting behavior that's not respectable. No honorable man respects the behavior of another man when he does something that's not honorable, but he honorably communicates to the spirit of the man. I believe in you more than you believe in yourself, you idiot. Where was your head at? I can't believe you did that. I would literally die for you, man. What, you know? We are filled with honor language, but mm-hmm. women haven't been coached on that. And part of their fear is if I say something respectful to him, I've, I'm endorsing something that isn't respectable. And But once they understand that there's a distinction here, women get it. And once they get it, they are our evangelists. The reason this message has exploded is due to the fact that women are the evangelists for this message because it changed. I mean, I've had women say to me, I was on that crazy cycle for 35 years and no one told me anything about this respect side. And the minute I started just saying, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, he softened and stayed engaged with me. Just the use of one word. And I say to women, don't use the word unloving. He doesn't believe you're unloving. He does believe you're disrespectful. So don't use the word unloving. He thinks that's a trick to get him to confess that he was unloving. But if you use the word disrespectful, he will look at you.
0: Wow. So I got a question on on that, Emerson, just on the research you've done and on this dramatic, uh, these two pieces of of love and respect. As I was dwelling on this, on your message here, I realized I was thinking about my home and thinking about uh, there is, so we're talking about her being disrespectful to me. However, if I hear her, Talking to one of the kids, talking to somebody else on the phone, talking in a disrespectful way, criticizing somebody, complaining about something. It grates my nerves almost as much as when she's doing it to me. And likewise, I'm very aware that she is also very influenced when I'm acting unloving, especially towards one of the kids. That exactly. hurts. I knew you were going to say that. Exactly. Okay. 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 So this is bigger than even just the marital relationship. Again, you're going to the, the tenets of men and women that that goes even outside of that bounds. I mean, this is, this would be relevant here for the workplace with my uh, female employees and, and coworkers and whatnot that this is, this runs across there. I just, again, it's, it, it, it's gotten, it's such a huge thing. As you keep saying, it's powerful and profound and dramatically paradigm shifting.
1: Well, and I think, uh, Sarah, my wife said he made us, God made us male and female, not husband and wife. And uh, we Mm. just did a series on the workplace because the same thing. I've talked with countless business people who, once you understand some of these. Now, the the work arena is a a respect culture. But I will tell you, the three women are going to go to the powder room and say, I wonder how that boss treats his wife. Mm. They're extremely relational. They can't not be relational. They care about people. And I say to men, when you get sick, a thousand women will pray for you around the world. The prayer network of women and the way they pray for you is absolutely off the charts. Women care, but they filter their world through certain things. So if you're in a meeting and you come across in an angry, harsh way toward women, She may be very respectful, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to lose her heart. You can be a female boss and you speak down to that male in a way that's contemptuous. You're going to lose his heart and you can tell him all day long he's egotistical and get over it. Just like you can say to women, get over it. Just because I'm angry and harsh, I'm done with it. You get over it. No, no, you cannot violate these principles because we're vulnerable. But the wise person, once they get it, not only does it impact the marriage, it impacts the family, it impacts everything. But back to your point, Sarah sees me talk to the kids in a harsh, angry way. She's going to come to me and say, you, you've got to be more loving. But the same thing, I can see her saying something to the boys who are now adults. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's come back off of that. The question is, will we allow the other to speak into that? Or we, will we think that the other's just shaming us? But when two people have each other's back, coming back to this idea that we're allies, we both have goodwill, we're here to protect each other, and also assume that there was never any intent to be disrespectful. There's never any intent for him to be unloving. We're not thinking about that. So what we have to do is challenge each other. How are you coming across here? And do we have the freedom to serve each other? Or are we at a point in a relationship where we think our only point is to judge each other and make the other feel guilty? Or can we team up here? And have each other's back. And those two people who make that decision to have each other's back, you talk about the wisdom that comes to their relationship and the influence they have on other people and in the, in, the, in the family unit. But when husband and wife or father and mother begin to attack the other, you know, and particularly see this in the blended family, where the mother of the, of the child does not believe the stepfather really cares. Oh, this is a epidemic problem. And you can see how this thing is just making a mess. But if people will apply this love and respect message, even though it doesn't feel fair, always over the long haul, it just works.
0: Well, uh, I've got a big family, Emerson. It's almost equal boys and girls. I, I want them to hear this. I want them to e- either read the book or we'll listen to the, to this together because that's significant for them to know as they go on. But even right now, as they're cohabitating um, again, we're, we're completely ignorant. And as, as you have I didn't know how ignorant I was uh, at the beginning of the interview here. And now uh, as you put it in here, it's, it's powerful. Well, I want to end with something that I had actually written out. And then as I read through your workbook since then, you actually address that obviously for myself, I can go through this with my spouse. And I'm grateful that I can do that. There are some out there who don't have a willing participating spouse who are going to have to embark on this. And you speak to that. I'm going to ask you to speak to that now. And those who are, uh, who are also single and are, are, are dealing with it in that, uh, nature. So will you go ahead and talk to those folks who are not going to have a willing spouse to go through this together with?
1: Right. Right. Well, and I think that becomes uh, the question always, you know, does this work if my spouse is unresponsive? Mm -hmm. And uh, if if a person is having an affair, you know, there's a betrayal going on. I mean, even Jesus had his Judas, and there are serious situations. So I understand that there are certain situations out there that, you know, are problematic. But before we conclude that my spouse is unwilling, one of the things that that I, I say to people over the last so many months, have you spoken to your husband or even the years in ways that felt disrespectful to him? Maybe he deserved the disrespect, but have you communicated in a way that was disrespectful? And women have a photographic memory and they'll say, yes, I have. I mean, I, you know, but he should know I didn't mean it. He's six foot 10, 280 pounds, and I'm five foot three. I mean, come on. Well, I'm. I say he's vulnerable. Let's shift this a little bit. Let's begin to Communicate things in a way that feels respectful to him. Or when you sense that you came across disrespectfully, we'll just say, you know, I wait a minute. I said that wrong. I I dissed you there. That was wrong. I was wrong. Will you forgive me that? And what we have found is one person, Kevin, can almost, in some cases, overnight change this relationship because the reason the other person is shutting down isn't because they are unfaithful or even even will. They are defensive and insecure. On the heels of, in the case of a man, I just think my wife has nothing but contempt for me. And every time she talks to me, I just think she's sending the message that she despises me. And so he just comes into the relationship defensively. But then one day, she speaks his mother tongue, and I've had women do the respect test. Here would be something for a mother out there or a woman, I mean, a wife whose husband is not responsive. Think of three things about your husband you respect, and tonight when he's just reading the paper, come into the room where he is and say, I was thinking about you today, and all the things about you I respect, and I want you to know I respect you. Then exit the room. (laughs) (laughs) And I always say to everybody, what will he do? Well, he'll follow her. I said, yeah, or if he's lazy, he'll call her back. Hey, wait, what is it? What is it? Come back. Okay, the point I make is this is his mother tongue. And he will hear you in a way that you and women have done this and it's blown them away. And this man who doesn't talk suddenly is chasing her to find out what this is so powerful. Same thing. The husband comes in, you know, I was thinking about you today and all the things about you. I love, and I just, you know, I just want, you know, I really love you. Then exit the room. Hmm. A man can say, this woman's a witch. She's no good. I'm going to tell you, she's not a witch. She's a virtuous, good-willed woman who has a need that only you can meet. And when you sincerely do that and you're not manipulating her, she's gonna follow you. Why? Because she has a need that only you can meet. And when you're willing to meet that need, she'll soften. And he has a need that only you can meet. And when you're willing to meet it, even though they've been unfair, maybe there have been a lot of problems. But the adult, you know, when I say, when Sarah and I married in 1973, I didn't say, Sarah, I hate you and you hate me, so let's get married. It doesn't go down that way. But how do people get derailed? Well, they get derailed later on with adultery, yes, but really the derailment didn't come there. It was the violation of love and respect in the early years of marriage where he began to feel she really doesn't respect me, and now the secretary is looking up to him. And my husband really doesn't love me, and the neighbor is listening to me. And it's this lack of love and respect that is the thing that derails. And when we're willing to put it back on the table, and sincerely so, It is amazing how easy and how quickly that can work coming from just one person. It only takes one person to bring about that change. But if we've concluded, oh, no, my spouse is unresponsive, I'm just going to say, unless they're in an adulterous relationship, unless they've they've had a lobotomy, don't conclude that.
0: Well, Emerson, I am uh, incredibly eager to see my wife today. I'll text her actually. Uh, she knows that I'm doing this uh, today, and uh, I, I'm gonna have to send her a text. We gotta, we gotta talk. Um, it's so, it's so great. Okay, you know, I, I do, have, I, I do have to admit, I'm, I'm literally thinking about an issue a couple nights ago. We have really been digging into our marriage, and uh, but a couple nights ago, something that I, I was upset about. Um, I felt re- unnecessarily. Uh, disrespected, and you mentioned a. I'm going to take it as a tactic, and, and maybe that's what you meant it as uh, a response, at least that um, that you mentioned. When I feel, when I feel that, so if I could go back to that moment and, and go back, it was at the dinner table, and I go back to what she said to stop and go. You know what? I'm so sorry. That I, I What did I speak? Ask. What did I speak that f- obviously felt unloving? Uh, that caused you to, to to act in a way that I, I did feel disrespected, but I know that that must co- that right there feels like incredible Bingo. hope because I, I won't miss it. I won't miss it. Okay,
1: no, that, that's if everybody listens to you, and I appreciate both of you so much, and I appreciate your heart. If people are listening to what you're saying, and you're not going to be the worst for the wear. Mm. And 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 again, when you do that toward a woman, a good-willed woman, she may say. I mean, at worst, she's going to say, "Oh, get over it." I, I didn't intend anything about it. So, "Well." Can we just pause for a moment because I have a vulnerability and it's unfair to you for me to shut down on you because I still need to grow up some more. And when you said that, here's how I responded. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I need your prayers. I need your help. But can you help me? Can you meet me a little way on this? Almost every woman I know will get very tender at that moment. She just will because she has this mental committee of about 15 women. And all of her girlfriends would say, He said that to you,
0: and you said that to him. No, they just are not, you know, they have a they have their cultural codes. Well, folks, we were right at the end of our time and we had a technical difficulty that we just ended with. Or we can assume it was a divine happening that left you hanging just a tad, and extra hungry to go to Emerson's website, loveandrespect.com and get the book and new workbook, or at least go sign up to Emerson's course email list as I have I hope you share this with your significant other or study it and prep for a significant other I hope you share it with other couples and let any young man or woman get filled in on this sooner than later and friends thanks so much for being with me as we walk together inspiring our true performance I'll talk with you in the next Ziggler show